welcome back to A Merry Heart with Brandy and Jamie, episode 28. We are so excited to have our guest on today, Sarah. Yes, Sarah, welcome to A Merry Heart. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so I'm so excited and honored, really honored to talk about Sarah and for her to be on. She's an angel. She's such a special person. And I just want to do her introduction by telling how our past crossed Sarah, okay? So if I get it wrong, just interject and correct me. That's what I always tell Jamie. Correct me if I'm wrong. So um, Sarah and I met through two mutual people and two very special people to me, one being my daddy and one being my friend Amber from back home in Asheville. And Sarah was on my dad's care team when he was fighting cancer. And so um, that's one person. And the other person is Amber, which is a photographer back home. And um, I remember her talking about a girl named Sarah and telling me about her, like, two dogs, and she was her neighbor. So I remembered the name, and I was like, okay, yeah. And I remember seeing Sarah's pictures, like, on Amber's page. And I was like, okay, yeah, those are the cute dogs. Yeah, yeah. And um, But, like, I just remembered that. We never met in person or anything like that. And then um, I don't remember if it was January or February, but I, I know it was this year. Um, when my dad's battle was getting like harder, um, he was having like more issues and things were getting more complicated. I remember he, um, he went to Messino Cancer Center in Asheville and I can't say enough good things about that place. They took such great care of my dad, but, um, Mm -hmm. he went in one day and I don't remember if it was technically a scheduled appointment or not, but they got him in. And they brought him and he was having a, like a lot of stomach problems. And the person he got to see that day, he had, had not seen before. And um, they just went over and beyond for him, did some additional imaging. And my dad had a, a rare disease and it was terminal. And we all knew that. But um, And he had had this problem constantly and kind of had been told like, you know, this is just how it's going to be. There's really not much we can do for you. But the person he saw this day just went over and beyond for him and did some additional tests like imaging and so I remember he called me and he's like sis that's what everybody calls me he's like sis um call Messina's office and talk to Pierce I'm like "Uh, okay Dr. Pierce okay like what did they say he's like she she's going to do a test call and talk to Pierce I'm like okay so I call up there and of course everyone is so nice and um I'm like yep Dr. Pierce and they're like yeah Sarah Pierce (laughs) they're just I'm like okay and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Sarah. And they're like, yep, she's a nurse practitioner. We'll leave her your message. And I was like, and it just hit me like a stack of bricks. Wait, Amber, that's, that's Amber, same. Sarah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I hung up. And before I even called my daddy back, I called Amber. And she like actually answered like on that first call because she's normally like really busy. And um, I was like, Amber. And I think I like had was crying because I was just upset. And I scared her. And she's like, what, what, what? I was like, call Sarah, call Sarah, call Sarah. And she's like, okay. I was like, my, she saw my daddy today. Please just tell her like who my daddy is. Please just, you know. And she's like, okay. And then I get a text like immediately. I asked Sarah if I could give her or give you her phone number. And she said, absolutely. And so Aww, I got Sarah's phone so number. Sweet. Yeah. And um, I mean, she called and followed up with me that night with everything with my dad. But she has like just went always over and beyond for my dad. Like took so additional sweet. time. I know she probably had to stay late multiple times just 
trying to help us make him comfortable yeah. and she just means the world not only to me she did my dad and the rest of my family because like the care that you know the time she took to like just help him with his stomach problems when we knew it was a terminal thing yeah. um she really just like sets the bar so high I think sometimes I <laughs> Alan thinks that I have this unrealistic <laughs> expectation of care but I'm like no, I work in the medical field and yeah. like, you know, and I work closely with doctors and nurse practitioner and ter- nurse practitioners and Sarah, like, she, I mean, she's like, you know, 10 out of 10 recommend she would like paid attention to so many details and she's just so sweet. And yeah. actually, James, I don't know if you remember this. I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. Yeah. And like Sarah was like, obviously so smart and would like explain all these like you know, complicated things to me. And I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do what she does for other people, but you have to be a nurse. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I can do PA school, but <laughs> that ended up not working yeah. out for me either. But she just, she inspired me and she means the world to like me and my family. Yeah, and we Sarah, love her. Brandy has told me multiple times how much you have meant to her. And it's just been so sweet for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, God puts people in our lives, like, you know, and he yeah. definitely put Sarah in not just my life, but I mean, she comforted my dad in ways too she just and that meant the world yeah yeah, we know peace comes from God but he like really sent Sarah because I don't know Sarah I don't know if you remember there are multiple times I was like Sarah Sarah this is it and I would panic and she would just be you know very like nope you know and we just walked held my hand not only my hand but my daddy's hand all of our hands through it and That's so, so sweet. We love yeah. Sarah, and yeah. thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited, Absolutely. yeah, for you to tell your story and tell us about you and your mom. Just yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, um, you know, your dad was—he uh, fought a hard fight. He fought well. He fought, um, you know, he fought the right fought the right fight. And mm-hmm. um, you know, Brandy, you took such good care of him. Yeah, and she did. You know, have to commend you for that um yeah. he was so blessed to have you and your brothers um Definitely. but you really did take good care of him and so um mm-hmm. you know my practice i am a nurse practitioner as brandy mentioned uh you know my practice is certainly influenced by um you know some personal things that have happened in my life and uh, the way people, healthcare providers, colleagues, co-workers uh, treated me and my family through that time. And so, you know, I've said this to, you know, family and friends, um, you know, the least I could do is to, you know, provide guidance and um, advice and, um, you know, offer my skill that, you know, I truly feel was, you know, has been a gift from God, you know, back to, you know, my closest family and friends. And so, you know, Amber helped me a lot, um, you know, through what I'm going to talk about with my mom. And so, you know, when she reached out, um, you know, Amber, I was, you know, more than happy, um, you know, to help, uh, you know, walk through that with you. And I'm happy that I was, you know, I didn't always have the right things to say, and I would never claim to have the right things to say. But, you know, I think just being there, uh, being a listening ear uh, certainly helped me, and uh, I've found that it's helped others. So I appreciate you saying that. But um, a little bit about me. So I was, my name is Sarah. I was born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I have one older sister. She also works in healthcare. She actually is a physician's assistant and works in primary care. And then um, I married my high school sweetheart. His name is oh. Caleb. Oh, um, no, you were high school yeah. sweetheart? Yeah, we've been together forever, it seems like. Aww. So um, 
he's also in healthcare. He's actually an OBGYN resident um, here in Asheville. Um, and then my brother-in-law actually is a paramedic. So our health, wow. our family is full of healthcare workers, which yeah. can be a blessing and a curse. Um, <laughs> yeah. So lots of fun was, conversations. I'm sure. <laughs> um, Yes, we tr- tend to limit uh, healthcare conversations. <laughs> you know, we just spiral. But um, yeah, so I am a nurse practitioner. I've been practicing for uh, almost six years, and I've always worked in oncology. Um, I was a bone marrow transplant nurse um, prior to going to NP school, and then I've been in outpatient medical oncology since I graduated. Um, my uh, kind of road to oncology um, was unexpected. Um, I had two of my grandfathers had cancer diagnosis and ultimately passed from their cancer diagnoses. Um, and I was going to a, um, doing a nurse externship program actually when I was in nursing school. And I remember saying to the lady interviewing me, put me anywhere but oncology. I just can't imagine that I would be able to do oncology. And as God would have it, she, of course, put me on a, a surgical oncology floor. And um, my experience up to that point was in critical care. Um, I had aspirations to be a critical care nurse, and I was working in the emergency room. Um, but really, um, in those six weeks uh, that summer, um, you know, my life would be forever changed. Um, I really grew a heart and a desire to work with cancer patients, um, best patients in the world. It's truly an honor uh, and a privilege to be able to walk with them uh, through their cancer journey. And so from there, I uh, went to bone marrow transplant where I took care of mainly um, leukemias, lymphomas, uh, heme malignancies, blood cancers, and then ultimately uh, did medical oncology. Um, and so a lot of my um, perspective and what I'm going to share today is certainly influenced by my uh, NP experience, um, and I recognize that, but please don't take anything that I say as medical advice. Uh, certainly don't intend for that to be uh, my purpose here today, uh, but it certainly does influence my outlook on my journey um, and experience. Right. And so from there, um, I will uh, introduce you to my mom. So uh, my mom um, certainly was uh, my best friend. Um, she, I was always, you know, even growing up as a child, um, a mama's girl. Um, mm. You know, we, I, we really just love spending a lot of time together. Um, and, you know, it kind of sounds cliche to say my mom is my best friend, but she really was my best friend. Um, we talked every day. Uh, most days we talked more than once a day. Um, she just knew what was going on in my life. And, you know, I really used her as a listening ear. Um, she genuinely lived to see her children happy. Um, she... She met, her happiness was for seeing us happy. And I felt like, you know, looking back, that probably was really a struggle for her, you know, with us growing up because she was balancing, you know, this desire to parent um, with a desire to be our friend. And I'm not a parent, but I can imagine, you know, that's difficult, of course. Uh, but as we became adults, um, she was really able to be our friend. And from that, she became my best friend. So, you know, some of my favorite memories of mom, um, we were at, for a period while I was a nurse, we were employed at the same 
hospital. Oh, and, cool. um, it was really a good time. And, uh, she, you know, we would be able to meet for lunch or she would bring me lunch to the floor if I couldn't get away. Um, and during that time I was also in grad school. And so I would leave, I was living and driving two hours about three days a week to go to school because I was working in Winston-Salem at the time. And so I would leave super early in the morning and be in class all day. But I remember I used to call mom on my two hour drive just to keep me awake because I would be like falling asleep. So we would just, you know, talk about anything and everything, but she, you know, would just keep me awake on the phone on my drive. Um, we walked together. It was something else we loved to do. We would, you know, spent hours and walked many, many miles up and down my parents' driveway. Um, but, you know, she really was, she was a devout Christian. Um, she mm-hmm. loved God first and foremost. Um, she loved not only her children, but all children. Um, you know, her lifelong dream was to retire and rock babies who didn't have anyone else to rock them. Um, she just, uh, she had a heart of gold. Um, mm. She uh, was married to my dad uh, for nearly 34 years. Um, she was a loyal friend. Um and this really, you know, was a gift that was returned to her by so many through her illness. Um, and I thought that was really a beautiful thing to see the friendship she gave to so many, you know, kind of come full circle and really support her, you know, through a very difficult and trying time. So that kind of just paints a picture of my mom. She was very special to a lot of people. And um, I appreciate this opportunity to honor her. Uh, and honor her legacy and her memory. So thank you guys for allowing this opportunity. We're so happy to hear about her. And honestly, like I'm getting to hear new details. I know I ask you sometimes questions about her and I try to get to know her through you, but like you sound so much like your mom, Sarah. I was going to say, she sounds like she was an incredible woman as are you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. (laughs) She's she would be tough used to fill. <laughs> so um, her cancer journey um, uh, began really in 2011. Uh, I was in nursing school at the time. Um, I was a junior actually, and uh, she found out she had breast cancer. Um, it was an early stage breast cancer. She had surgery. She had radiation. Uh, she did endocrine therapy, which is a pill. Um, that she had to take for five years. And, you know, we kind of just thought that was her cancer journey. You know, she was cured and she had dealt with her cancer, um, the cancer she would experience in her life. And she, we just moved on. Um, but in June of 2017, a different plan arose. Um, you know, in retrospect, uh, for a month or so prior to, um, her ultimate uh, symptomatic presentation, um, we noticed that her mentation was a little bit less sharp, but my red flag moment was, um, and I'll never forget it, I was um, actually sitting in the hospice parking lot getting ready to go see one of my patients on the way to Relay for Life, and my sister called, and we were just kind of talking, and she said, um, did mom tell you she came uh, to see to see her primary care doctor today. And I said, well, no. And my sister works for the primary care doctor that my mom was seeing at the time. And she said, yeah, she came into the walk-in clinic. She's been having headaches. Um, And, you know, most people wouldn't go straight to cancer. Okay. Um, 
And she certainly had other things that could be causing headaches. She had just started a new medication, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But she had no history of headaches. And so, um, you know, as a primary care doctor, appropriately we do, you know, let's watch this, make some changes. Maybe it's a new medication you started. You know, contact your oncologist because it was a medication that her oncologist had started. But my mind right. <laughs> went... Oh, wow. Because, you know, I work in oncology, so we look for zebras uh, in a field of horses. But, you know, I thought, I'm not going to be a provider. Let's let this play out. And she really, at that point, we didn't think was having any other neurologic symptoms. And my mom didn't feel like she had either. Um, so I went about my weekend, you know, did Relay for Life. Um, and it was just that next week, actually, uh, my husband and I were preparing to move to Asheville. Um, we were living in Charlotte at the time where I was working, and I had taken off the end of that week um, to to move. And so uh, that Wednesday night, um, we had went to Red Robin. I'll never forget this. We, were, we had eat, eaten dinner, and we returned back to our apartment to pack up and get things ready to, to move the next day. And my phone rang, and it was my sister again. And she said, uh, dad just called, uh, mom's not acting right. Mm -hmm. And now mind you, mom had worked all day that day. Uh, she had, uh, drove home and I had talked to her earlier that earlier in the evening as I always did. And she just seemed unengaged, which I thought was weird. Um, and I thought, well, maybe she just had an off day. Uh, she just didn't seem interested in our conversation. She just said she was really tired. Mm-hmm. But when my sister called, she said she was confused. She was disoriented. And she said uh, the ambulance is on her way to, to pick her on the way to pick her up. Mm-hmm. Well, I was with my husband and, um, I tend to be, tend to be an optimistic person. I like to think it's realistic, but it's probably uh, pessimistic. Excuse me. And my husband tends to be more optimistic. And I said, "She's got a brain that, you know, she her, her breast cancer's back, and she's got a brain that." And he said, "No, no, no, Sarah. You know, just don't go there. We don't know. It could be anything." And so we got in the car and we drove. And I drove because nervous energy. I had to be doing something. And when I got there, I got there right as the ambulance was um, getting ready to leave. They were cleaning the ambulance. I knew which ambulance you had come in. And I walked up to the paramedic and I said, what do you think it is? What do you think is going on? And, of course, they didn't know. <laughs> uh, they knew her neuro exam wasn't good, but I wanted answers. Mm-hmm. And I wanted answers then. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, I don't know. I don't know. She's in there. And so... Um, I went in and my sister was already back there with her and um, my dad, I think, drove the car behind the ambulance. Um, And so we're in the ER. This was pre-COVID time. So thankfully we were all able to be there, but they only allowed one person back in the, in the, Mm -hmm. in the bay or whatever at the time. And so I texted my sister and said, I'm here, um, you know, whenever. And so I walked back there and my mom was sitting up in the hospital bed and she looked at me and she said, well, you just didn't need to come. I just think you're overreacting. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, at least she recognized me. <laughs> this is a good start, you know, <laughs> yeah. and 
And so I was in the back of my mind hoping and praying she had just had, you know, a mini stroke or, you know, right, some kind right. of something that, you know, we could manage, you know, a small clot, whatever. But in my heart of hearts, I knew this just is not good. Mm. And uh, so I, my dad wanted to come back. And so I went back to the waiting room and my sister um, called me and she said, you got to get back here right now. And I walked back here, and the doctor had came in, and they had done a scan of her head by that point. And um, the doctor came in, and it was the emergency room physician, and he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, mm. but you have a mass in your brain. Mm. And I went numb. I didn't know what to say. But my dad, I remember... You know, he looked at me. Well, you know, I, I was in oncology. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And so I immediately thought, this must be recurrent breast cancer. And so in the back of my mind, I start racking through. If it's breast cancer, it can be resected. You know, uh, women with metastatic breast cancer uh, can live a long time. And so to me, that was worst case scenario, you know, metastatic breast cancer, that would be bad enough. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've consulted the neurosurgeons, they'll be right in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think mom got it. And I don't know if that was a bad thing. But at the time, I don't think she understood what that meant. Right. And so the neurosurgeons came and they said, yes, it's a five centimeter mass. Um, she has a lot of swelling. Uh, she had what we call a midline shift, which is the center of the brain had shifted over. And this would clearly explain all the symptoms. And, it, you know, it's just amazing to really think a five centimeter mass in the brain. That's a huge mass and mm-hmm. how well her your brain kind of compensated for so long until it just couldn't compensate anymore and her symptoms kind of evolved and developed. But nonetheless, um, you know, neurosurgeon said, we're taking neurosurgery tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. Wow. And which I was thankful for. I mean, first of all, I wanted things done quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, They needed to decompress the the mass. And, you know, I, I wanted a plan, you know. I mean, patients who have to wait you know, weeks for a biopsy to come back, weeks mm-hmm. for surgery, weeks for scan. I mean, it just drags on and on. Mm-hmm. Her care didn't move really briskly. And, you know, part of that was because of where the disease was and the amount of disease that was present. But nonetheless, um, I stayed with her that night. Um, my sister and my dad came back very early the next morning. And we were getting ready, um, you know, to take her down to surgery. And... Um, you know, we, we hadn't really told anybody that morning, uh, you know, how do you really call somebody and say, hey, mom's, you know, mom's got a brain mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I remember my sister walked in and she said, who do we call? Who do we tell? And at the time, we didn't have answers. We didn't know. But we called, um, you know, who we felt like had to know. But I remember my mom, as we we're talking that, she said, you got to call work. I can't come to work today. And mm, that's just think mom. About that, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was just mom. Um, mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, we called her work. And it was, she was at the hospital at which she was employed. Um, and so, mm. 
they took her into surgery, and um, I don't remember how much time they estimated the surgery to be, but, you know, they gave us an estimated time. And, um, and we, um, my mom, my, I remember my sister and my dad, and then myself, of course, were there during her surgery, and they didn't really call us with updates like they said they would. Um, and then finally they called and um, they had me go to a, they had me go to a phone and I went because, um, you know, I, we, you know, felt like I would understand what they were saying most. Right. And so I went to the phone and it was, the sur- it was the nurse and he, she said, here's the surgeon. And he said, well, we're done. Uh, your mom did great. Um, it's not breast cancer, but that's all I'm willing to say without your mom present. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, um, okay. And I fought him at first because I wanted more because I felt like I knew more than the general population. And I felt like right. I deserved more than that answer. Mm-hmm. And so I said, and I pushed him and he said, I'm not willing to have this discussion without your mom present. So I knew this is bad. Okay. I knew that, um, it was bad enough to where he wouldn't tell me on the phone. I really Mm -hmm. wanted him to tell me it's going to be okay. And so I said, okay. So I went back and I told my family and of course they wanted more answers too. And I felt like, you know, as a provider, um, I would have really, as a family member, I would have really liked for the provider to come out and talk to us face to face. Um, and, and I just say that because, you know, as a provider, it certainly has reflected how, you know, you treat patients and their families in a situation that is unbearably difficult. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, but nonetheless, that was his practice. And so, um, The next, so then we waited a long, long time and I never heard and I never heard and I never heard. And so I went to the desk and I said, you know, it's been an hour and a half and I haven't heard anything from my mom. She's still in PACU. Is everything okay? And they said, well, let me call back there and check. And they called and the nurse got on the phone and she said, your mom's okay. She's just really anxious. And I said, let me back there. You know, I thought, golly, if she's that anxious, let her see her family. Mm -hmm. And so I went, they did let me back there at that point. Um, and Mm -hmm. I went and saw her and she, she asked my dad. And so I left and went and got my dad and she ended up spending, um, that entire night in, in post-op because the hospital was overfilled. And um, I went home, my dad went home, and my sister stayed with her that night. But the next morning we went back, and we expected the surgeon to come and give us more answers. And when they send a path off during surgery, they kind of get a preliminary result. And then, you know, a few weeks or a few, a few days later, you get the final result. And so we're in the PACU, and my mom's still groggy, you know, not really alert and oriented. And the surgeon comes in. And my dad and me and my sister were in there and he said, um, it's a high grade, uh, brain tumor and, uh, it's most likely to be something called glioblastoma. Uh, but we won't know that for sure. And 
one of the first questions we ask is what what are we looking at here? You know, what what's the prognosis? And I knew, uh, but I'm thankful I didn't have to share that uh, with my family. And but he did say, you know, it's it's about twelve months, and it was so blunt to me. And mm-hmm. my mom again, he had said, I'm not having this conversation without your mom present, but she really wasn't present. Um, and you know, she was still kind of groggy from surgery. And so, you know, we took that with the devastating news that it was, um, you know, we mm-hmm. knew that there would be treatment options. We knew it was not going to be curable. Uh, they were not able to reset the whole tumor. They just kind of debulked it. Um, and so we knew, you know, additional treatment was ahead. So from there, mom actually did remarkably well post-op. Uh, she was in the hospital about three days, mm-hmm. and she regained a lot of her function. Uh, she just, she was a fighter, um, and she really did well uh, post-op. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, she was treated um, with some radiation and chemotherapy concurrently together. Um, and, um, her actual diagnosis was something called gliosarcoma, um, which is kind of, is actually a more aggressive, uh, form of glioblastoma, which is a very aggressive brain tumor. Um, and the, just so you have an idea, the, uh, five-year survival for glioblastoma is less than 7% and even less so for gliosarcoma. Um, so just a bad prognosis and, uh, a very scary. And, um, again, my mind was metastatic breast cancer is bad enough, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, uh, mom took it with, um, a lot of grace, a lot of strength. Uh, she really gave it to God. And, um, you know, we, at that point, uh, knew our, and I've said this to Amber, I mean, to Brandy, uh, our miracle, um, and our, our prayer to God was just time and, uh, quality time. Mm-hmm. And he really did give us good quality time. Um, you know, mom, you know, for a good 16 months, I would say she had good quality of life. Uh, you know, she was going through chemo and radiation and more chemo and, um, she did a clinical trial and more chemo. Um, you know, I took her for a second opinion. We looked at, you know, clinical, I mean, we did everything and she, she just, she was a trooper through it. Um, Mm -hmm. and she just wanted time. Um, and you know, she had ups and downs. She had good and bad days. There were hospital admissions, but overall, you know, it was good quality. We, as a family, got to go on a cruise to Alaska, which was, you know, kind of one of her bucket list items, if you will. Um, she got to see her first grandchild be born um, and spent, you know, just over four months uh, with her grand- first grandchild. And, you know, that was so special for us because mom had so badly wanted a grandchild um and you know i tell people i can remember my mom talking about grandchildren since i was you know 16 years old not that she wanted me to have a grandchild that young but if she really that was like her life you know aspiration um and so way past the 12 months right sarah she made it uh mom lived 20 uh 20 months, oh, 22 months, yeah. 22 months. Um, yeah, she died, uh, 
April 20th. So she far outlived her prognosis. Um, And I can only attribute that to, uh, you know, God and, you know, the blessing of modern science and, uh, you know, treatment for this disease has come a long way. Um, But yeah, she did. She lived 22 months. So she far outlived her prognosis. Um, And we're so thankful, um, like, you know, for that. Um, And I remember... Christmas Eve of 2018, that was her last Christmas, um, my dad met me at church. Uh, we always went to church on Christmas Eve with my mom, and I was coming down from Asheville, and so I met them at church. And I remember um, looking at her and thinking that things are changing, um, and I knew this was going to be our last Christmas. And Christmas in our family has always been a big thing. You know, obviously the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but also, um, That's special. you know, we have family traditions and Christmas breakfast, and it was just a big thing. And so it was hard for me to sit through that Christmas Eve service without mm. tears streaming down my face because I just knew this was going to be my last Christmas with mom. Mm-hmm. And mm. from there, uh, she was still going undergoing chemotherapy. But that early that spring, um, you know, I heard uh, providers that we were seeing. Um, she had a local oncologist, and then she had an oncologist at the academic center. And I started hearing these terms um, that I, as a provider, and um, use when you start to consider the transition to hospice care. And so there's a very tactful way, appropriate way to have that discussion with a patient. And the providers, some of them, because I had worked with them in the past, you know, I would talk to them on the phone. We would talk about our scan, whatever. But I started hearing these terms. And so that, you know, was correlating with a decline in my mom's functional status. And, you know, I began to recognize, you know, her quality of life was becoming poorer, um, you know, and so the benefit of treatment and her quality of life certainly became a focus in my mind. Um, I think recognizing that um, was somewhat was different. I don't want to say it was easier. I think it was different because I was a provider. Um, and, you know, mind you, I'm working in oncology all along the way, you know, mm-hmm. all the way through this journey. You know, I'm having these conversations with my patients. Yeah, man. And they don't they don't know what's going on at home, but you know, it was just kind of odd because you know, I would put myself in their shoes and then when the provider was talking to me, it was just odd, but mm-hmm. um and so I started talking to my sister and my dad and I questioned um and this is one of my biggest regrets. I questioned my mom's insight. Um I wasn't sure how much insight she had to her quality of life. And I didn't really understand if she knew or could understand when the doctors were talking about, you know, your symptoms are getting worse, your treatment, because it's a little bit different um, when you, when it's a brain tumor or a brain mat, because 
that directly impacts your ability to your cognition, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. The process, think, everything. Yeah. Exactly, your process of thinking. Whereas some other tumor, some other cancers, I'm not saying it's better or it's worse, but... Right, no, that's um, a really good point. Mm-hmm. You can have, I can, I can directly talk to the patient about quality of life and hospice and they get it because their cognition is not impaired by a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. But with mom, you know, I really question, you know, how much she understood mm-hmm. and I regret that and I didn't I guess I didn't really ever ask her to really understand I was making that assumption based off of other things and my dad kept saying she she gets it she knows she understands she she gets it and they had been married for 34 years and so certainly he knew better than I did but on her birthday um February 22nd uh, we had went to see her great-grandmother, or her grandmother, my great-grandmother, who's still living. And that's what she wanted to do for her birthday. And um, her mobility was poor, very bad, um, was total lift at that point. But we did it. Um, my sister and my mom and my niece um, went up, and we took a picture um, with her great with her grandmother, my great grandmother, and my grandfather had passed away, but my mom wanted a generation picture, mm-hmm. and so we went up on her birthday and we did that, and we came back home, and my mom was pretty quiet, and a she had arranged she had been seeing a counselor. Um, for a few months, who was phenomenal and a godsend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she had scheduled a appointment with my sister and myself and our husbands and my dad. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Why does she feel like she needs an appointment to tell us something? Mm-hmm. And it was like two weeks away because we all work in healthcare and, you know, scheduling this is difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I just said to mom, I said, if you have something you need to say to us, I just want you to know you can say that because we had been so close. We had never needed, a, you know, kind of in between mediator, I guess you should say. Right. And she said, she looked at me and she said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Mm. I'm ready to go be home with Jesus. Mm. And Mm. in some ways, I was relieved to hear that because she made the decision herself. And in other ways, I felt really bad because I didn't feel like I had created the platform for her to tell me that. Um, and I pride myself in having that platform with my patients. You know, I say, look, this is your, this is your journey. You call it quits when you want to call it quits. Um, but I didn't do that for my mom. And that was hard to swallow. But, of course, you know, I said, then, then we won't do this anymore. You know, I mean, then, 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 then no more treatment. You know, this is certainly your journey. And so dad was actually at work that day. And so um, he, when he came home from work, we had plans to celebrate her birthday. She didn't feel like doing that. And ultimately she told dad, you know, she didn't want to do treatment anymore. And of course, 
he supported that, was just there to do what she wanted to do. Um, and so from there, we uh, she transitioned into hospice care. She was in hospice care just short of two months. Um, she died on the eve of Easter in 2019, uh, which I find no irony in that. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. But she um, she died a peaceful death. We were all there with her, um, mm. and you know, for what it for what it was, it you know really was a God thing. And you know, she um, she was at peace, and she was ready to go home and see her earthly father and her heavenly father. And we certainly found peace and comfort in that. So. That's kind of mom's story. Um, you know, um, she fought. She fought a good fight. She fought a hard fight, and um, you know, ultimately, you know, I I say, you know, she lost the fight but won the war. Um, you know, she, you know, she she's in victory. Uh, she yeah. she's not in victory. Um, so that's. Well, she, that's a beautiful like yeah. you painted a beautiful picture of her yeah. and sharing and her story and honoring her it was so just yeah. beautiful and like I know that um there's a sad ending with losing her and I feel like I could talk to you all day because um I know we're at different processes of grief and stuff but like you said so many things that I think so many other people who've lost a parent can relate to and right. um you just you said it for them. Sometimes I know that I can't find words and, you know, I found like your words um, saying what I feel and, you know, want to say, mm-hmm. and um, I know your mom would be so proud and she had she the would, absolute yes. best care team yeah. between you, your sister and her dad she and did. your husband. Sometimes I feel like we were overbearing, but uh, she definitely had a care team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, when you're like, um, I think sometimes because you were saying, um, I wish I was writing down things. You were saying like, um, I know one time somebody at work because I was saying, oh, my dad needs to do this or I'm doing this. And they're like, you need to let him do what he wants to do. And I got so angry at that person. I was like, you need to mind your own business. <laughs> That's my daddy. And uh, But I was like, yeah. um, she was like, you can't make him fight. And I was like, I'm not. I'm helping him. But um, I think that's as kids, mm-hmm. you know, and they fight for us. Yeah. I think I don't, you know, mm-hmm. they fight for us. And so, but yeah. your mom wow. was such an amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sarah. I'm so sorry for all that y'all have been through. But, yeah. So, Sarah, what advice would you give someone um, who may be going through that, um, losing parents or has a friend or just what advice would you give to them? So, I'm... Uh, certainly wouldn't attempt to give advice to someone who's been diagnosed with a, you know, a devastating diagnosis such as that. Cause honestly, I wasn't in my mom's shoes and I, I certainly wouldn't want to act like I know how to walk that journey, but to the family members and the caregivers and the friends, right. you know, I would say, you know, take it day by day, um, thrive in the good times, survive in the bad, um, allow yourself grace. You are not perfect. Uh, you are walking through a difficult time. Um, and you know, human flaws, I feel like are certainly, uh, come out when we are stressed, when we are tired, uh, when we are scared. 
and you know, just give yourself grace. And it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I mean, of course you want to give your parent perfection. Um, and it's just a standard you can't obtain. Um, and so just give yourself grace and, mm-hmm. you know, give it to God. I mean, really what else is there? Uh, what's left, you know, when you're mm-hmm. in that moment, um, really that's where the hope is. Um, that's, uh, that's where the hope lies. And so that's what I would say, allow it time. Um, but I also want to say this, um, and I hope it's okay that I say this, um, to, and I say this not only for my mom, but for my patients, because there were moments through my mom's journey when I thought, oh my gosh, is this what my patients go through? Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't, you know, Brandy, when I listened to your podcast, I, I identified with you because you said, you know, this isn't to show, throw shame or offense to anyone who said these things. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I always said after these things happen, and I'll talk about them, if I'm ever given the opportunity, I'm going to share that because I feel like my patients aren't, wouldn't, and yeah, I mean, you're, he didn't at the yeah, time. You're their voice. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to say this, uh, these things for my mom, but also for my patients. So one instance, we were sitting in the waiting room um, after I had went with my mom for that first scan. And I'll tell you, that was the hardest visit I went through. I went to with my mom, even harder than the hospice talk, because it felt like everything was riding on the result of this first scan. Because mm-hmm. I knew if she didn't respond to this first line of treatment, it was just bad. And so I went with my mom, and um, I was sitting. We were sitting in the waiting room before the visit, and we both were crying. The entire time we were waiting, we cried while we were in the exam room waiting for my phys- waiting for the physician. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is what my patients go through because I was thinking the doctor knows the results and I don't know them yet. But he knows the future of my mom and he knows the future of me. I felt like from these results. And so we went in and we got the results. And oftentimes, like it is with neuro patients and brain MRIs, there's a lot of gray to it things like pseudo progression maybe it's going to get worse before it gets better and it was just unclear and so we we didn't feel at peace after that visit we still felt hope but we didn't really feel at peace and so we're sitting in the waiting room waiting for to get her follow-up appointment and this lady saw us that was sitting beside us saw us in tears and i'm sure she thought my gosh you know these ladies are just really upset and she said she leaned over and very much with the right intention. And I want to say that with the right intention. And she leaned over and she said, I just want to let you know, I had cancer too. And I'm cured. Mm -hmm. And you can do that too. Now she went on to tell me what cancer she had had. And she didn't know I was a nurse practitioner and she didn't know I worked in oncology, but she had a very, she had a curable cancer, okay? Mm-hmm. And mom didn't. Mm-hmm. And she continued to go on and tell us her journey. And I didn't know the right thing to do. And so I just took my mom's hand and we walked away. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this really what my patients go through? 
Um, another time we were standing in line trying to board the cruise, um, and mom lost her hair early on and did not grow her hair back. And she was fine with that. Uh, we were fine with that. And most of my patients are okay with it. But the problem is when you lose your hair, you're identified as a cancer patient in public. Mm-hmm. And so even when you want to escape your cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. you can't because you don't have hair. And so people know what that means. And so we're standing in line trying to go out. We're going on this cruise. We're excited. We didn't really want to talk about cancer. Uh, we were going to have a good time. And a lady walks up and she says, you know, I was in the same spot you were last year. I didn't have care. I didn't have hair. And I was in the middle of my breast cancer journey, but I made it through and you know, you can too. And I couldn't walk away at that point because we're in a line to get on a cruise. And so I just said, my mom didn't know what to say. And I just said, okay. Mm -hmm. And I say that to say, I just know your audience. And if you don't know your audience, then maybe just say, I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I, I'm not, I don't want to discredit, uh, any cancer diagnosis. It's devastating. Um, and curable cancer, you know, certainly has its own uh, hurdles. You know, PTSD from a cancer diagnosis, fear of recurrence. But a curable cancer, you know, the truth is it has hope that an incurable cancer would never have. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so I would just say, you know, I, I warn my patients about sharing their cancer journey because they're also very different. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, just... Just, uh, I'm glad you said that. That is really, I've never thought about that. And, you know, like, like you said, I'm sure there wasn't malicious intent, but like, you don't kind of know what you're saying either. Right. And I'm like, you said, I'm sorry, it's sufficient or, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I totally, I'm glad you said that. That's good. Mm -hmm. And then another thing, you know, as a Christian, um, and I didn't really think about this until I was in the situation, but Someone came to see my mom early on in her diagnosis, but at the point when we already knew this wasn't a curable cancer, and this person had also had cancer. I mean, we all know you know people who have cancer, and and this person said, you know, I prayed after my cancer diagnosis, and when they went back and looked, it was all gone. And I don't want to minimize the miraculous work of God in any way, but. When you make that comment, you have to understand that just because you pray to God doesn't mean he's going to cure your cancer. And mm-hmm. you ha- and you have to accept that. And I don't and, and the implication was that you pray good enough or you pray hard enough, then your cancer will be taken away. And right. that's my heart really ache for patients because that may not be the journey God has planned for you. And so an analogy I'll make um that a mentor uh, told me many years ago, when I talk to patients who have a terminal cancer, you talk to them and say, you're going on a trip and you need to pack two bags. One bag is that you're cured of your cancer and you continue to thrive and you live a long life. But the other bag is that you're not cured of your cancer and you need to be prepared for both walks and both roads that stuck with me for 
the eight, the eight years since I've heard that. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It doesn't minimize. It says, hey, if God's will is for me to be cured of my cancer, that's in my bag here. But if his will is for me to die from this cancer, that's in my other bag. And I think that's important that we mm-hmm. that we kind of prepare ourselves or our, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Our nuts, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's That's great, too. That's really good. And, like, you know, of all people, you see the perspective of it day in, day out. Mm -hmm. You've lived it. You don't just work it. You've lived it. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, Sarah, your mom was a precious lady, we can tell. And um, thank you so much for sharing her story. I know know that's going to touch so many people, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, We like to ask all of our guests, the same question, and it's um, our famous kind question. Um, so can you give us an example of when someone was kind to you? It can be big or small, just something that you'll always remember. So um, there's there's so many. I mean, we really were surrounded by an abundant amount of love and support, um, you know, through the journey, and we continue to be. Um, but one instance that I will never forget um, my mom was in the pre-op area prior to her surgery. And remember, I had my sister, in fact, had called her employer that morning and said she won't be in the work. And her co-workers showed up in the pre-op area, mm. all of them. And it was against hospital rules. They don't let that many people in the pre-op area. But they came in and they surrounded my mom and mm. they prayed with her before she went to surgery and that meant so much um to my family and to my mom yeah um there um there was a friend of my mom's who visited every single thursday from the time she was diagnosed until the time she died um you know they when mom was well they went out and they did things um, and when she got sicker, you know, the friend just sat with her and held her hand and they talked. Mm. Um, my dad's co-workers covered shifts so he could be there um, and take care of my mom. Mm. Um, my co-workers, um, you know, supported me. Um, they, My colleagues, uh, you know, who directly cared for my mom and cared for me and listened to, um, you know, my concerns and they gave me their opinions and they gave me their treatment recommendations. Um, I had a counselor, um, at my job who just, you know, countless hours, I would just go in and shut the door at lunch and just, you know, um, lay on her. And, uh, she walked me through and really just provided a listening ear. Um, But really, um, the reason why I agreed to do this today and one of the reasons why I shared so much with Brandy through her walk with her dad, I had a co-worker um, at my job whose mom had also been diagnosed with glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know me long, but she came up to me and I didn't know about her mom. And she came up to me and she said, I heard your mom had glioblastoma. And she said, my mom died from that um, just, I think, two years before my mom. And so she was so open and so vulnerable and just answered the hard questions that 
um, mm. you know, it's difficult to share. And I was so grateful that she did that. Mm. Um, yeah. That is so sweet and special. Yeah. And I know that I can just relate to that too, Sarah. It's just like God sends us these people, like we know pieces from him, but mm-hmm. that help, you know, yeah. to help like with that. Yeah, them as a vessel. To, yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I know that that lady truly like was a yeah. gift for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, yeah, thank you so Sarah, much for thank coming you on. so much. I know, yeah. Jamie knows, I have been wanting to ask you, before my dad even died, I've wanted to ask you for a long time, but I know how busy you are, because I know you cover multiple places, and I'm like, yeah, you know, but you, like, literally touch not only my life, but my dad's and our family, and we are just so grateful for you, and um, using your talents, like you said, that God's given you, you are just an amazing practitioner, as well Absolutely. as person, Amber yeah. talks about, you know, how wonderful you and Caleb both are, and I know they're going to miss y'all so much. Yeah. And so, um, but thank you so much for coming on again. You are just a wonderful person. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. You're yeah, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who chooses to join us on this journey. Please follow us at a Merry Heart 17 on Instagram. Remember to always show kindness and a Merry Heart does good luck and medicine. We love you. This podcast is sponsored by Duffy's Heating and Air Conditioning. We specialize in heating, air conditioning, ductwork, and Crawl Space Solutions. Let us be your one-stop shop for all your comfort needs. Please call us at any time at 843-621-COOL. That's 843-621-2665. This podcast is sponsored in part by Custom Excel Spreadsheets. Ever find yourself in a bind wishing to be more organized on a particular project with work or something else? Are you currently handling things on paper or paying a hefty monthly subscription fee? Let CES step in and help. CES helps you by creating custom spreadsheets on any project you need with no monthly subscription fee. Anywhere from quote forms, invoices, and timesheets to automatic report generation, data analysis, dashboards, and much more. Contact us by going to customexcelspreadsheets.com or email us at colton at customexcelspreadsheets.com. Receive your free quote today.